0: The trap door on the floor opened slowly. It creaked and it groaned and it shook. The child ran to the large opening in the floor. She stared down into a deep underground chamber. It was filled with hundreds of wonderful things. What's this? she said. Let us start the story at the very beginning. invisible and in her case invisibility ah such a good thing. She was born on a Monday morning as child number five of nine children of the famous Lombardi family in Italy. The Lombardi family was genetically superior. All the lucky children born into this bloodline very soon showed traits and talents of Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, Donatello, Galileo, Botticelli, Vivaldi, Dante, Mussolini, Raphael, Verdi, Marco Polo, Puccini, and so on. Since the 1500s, every generation brought at least one genius. The Lombardis were world-renowned artists like Da Vinci and Botticelli, and army generals better than Mussolini, musicians such as Vivaldi, and poets equal to Dante. Every 100 years, a Michelangelo appeared almost as good as him. Carmen's grandfather became the Michelangelo prodigy at the age of two. Little Alessandro could form clay into any object or animal. The elated Lombardis they knew that he Alessandro would be the one. So they hid the little boy from influences of the modern world so that nobody had any chance of tainting the exceptional abilities of the artist. His parents had only one child because one so gifted took all of their time, and he gave them the greatest of joy. Then disaster, the biggest tragedy ever in the Lombardi dynasty, a horrific car accident. Ten-year-old Alessandro lost his right arm and his right eye. That meant the end of a Michelangelo. His parents compensated. World-famous tutors and mentors and specialists in every field came to enrich the boy's life. By 18, Alessandro fluently spoke eight languages. He played piano with his left hand and he finished his first master's degree. He painted, wrote beautiful poetry, composed music and his parents firmly said "Oh, the loss of an eye and an arm and of potentially being a Michelangelo Oh, it did not bother Alessandro at all. They said he was a cheerful young man with a zest for life and he had many friends and he thrived. Nobody asked him. They assumed and they decided that he was happy. Alessandro married at thirty, but it took ten long years before he had a son. Just when desperation set in to conceive another Lombardi, oh joy, Leonardo! Everybody immediately asked, what will he be? Another Michelangelo, or a painter, or a poet, or a musician. By two, little Leonardo showed no special ability of any kind. None. Alessandro smiled and he gave his son another two years. But still, nothing. Up to now, all Lombardi children became child prodigies without any effort whatsoever. They could just do marvellous things. Their genetic superiority simply showed itself, and quickly. But oh, not for Leonardo. Desperate times. Tutors came, to no avail. Little Leonardo was average. He was a loving and a very handsome young man, but without the talents of a Michelangelo, Da Vinci, Dante, Puccini, Galileo, or Verdi. Oh, the embarrassment for the young man. Just imagine being the first Lombardi since the 1500s who could not master anything. Did superior genetics skip a generation? So Leonardo, poor Leonardo, he married at 20 and he made a solemn vow to his father that he, Leonardo, would produce more than one superior child alessandro adored his talentless son and he said maybe it's just the end of an era you don't have to no leonardo said my children will be true Lombardies, they will and i and they will make you proud And so a saga began. Child number one, a boy, zero talents by two. Well, he could sing a little bit, but just a little. Child number two, born two years later, a girl, still nothing. She was probably the most beautiful Lombardi ever born, but that did not count. Leonardo and his wife frantically kept on having a child every 18 months after that. Carmen, child number five, was born on a busy Monday morning. And her parents, they disqualified her at birth. All Lombardis had the exact same distinct features. They had dark curly hair and dark eyes and olive-coloured skin and that tiny cute Lombardi nose. Not Carmen. All Lombardi babies yelled and kicked and screamed and fussed after birth. All of them were born screaming. For generations. Not Carmen. She did not cry at all. She simply stared at her mother and the doctor. And she was so quiet that a specialist had to come and make sure that she did not have brain damage. Carmen did not act like a true Lombardi and she definitely did not look like one. She was light-skinned with blonde hair and just different. Genetically definitely not the one, it was overly obvious. So she became invisible moments after her birth and child number six was born ten months later. After nine children, Grandfather Alessandro begged his son Leonardo and his wife to stop trying. Enough, he said, enough. This has become a job and it brings great unhappiness to all of the nine children who all feel inferior. Enough. Let's enjoy nine healthy and lively children. Let's stop this Frantic quest for a better child. Look at the children. They are simply fantastic. And they all have a superior intelligence and so many skills. Now let them be happy. The Lombardi era of superhumans has ended. So they stopped after child number nine. The tutors and the teachers stayed. All of the children spoke at least two languages. They could paint and sing and sculpture and play a few musical instruments. Every child had his or her own nanny and all tutoring sessions were one-on-one. Some excelled in painting or mathematics or dancing. Others at swimming, horseback riding, macroeconomics. Some of them were brilliant at gymnastics or poetry or chemistry. The Lombardi household was a well oiled machine of education in every genre for eight children. Yes, eight children. Because remember Carmen, number five, while Carmen remained invisible. Yes, she had a nanny. But she had no tutors. It's very easy to lose a child if you have eight others. She was a sweet little thing. But on a scale out of nine children, she officially ranked last. Carmen did not really speak. She could, she just didn't nobody paid any attention to her, but they loved her, of course they did, she got hugs and kisses and her siblings played with her and she ate well, slept well and as a young girl she always got carried around by someone. Being invisible in that house, filled with tutoring and developing skills on all levels, oh that had great advantages. Garmin was free, she was free of all the pressures, because somehow she had mastered the art to vanish, nobody noticed. Garmin would slip into the private tutoring sessions and lessons of her siblings, she sat and she stared, when she got bored, she left. She would take an empty canvas and some paint and she would vanish. She would gather good sculpturing clay and, yes, vanish. She took a piece of marble and a chisel and, yes, she vanished. She vanished for days. She took sheet music and the Russian dictionary and just disappeared. She constantly stared, completely mesmerized by everything. By her eldest brother's math lessons, by history lessons about Mussolini, lessons about Rossini. She stared and listened at endless Dante poetry. And then she walked away with three books on Leonardo da Vinci. Nobody knew that Carmen attended every language lesson given. So, why did nobody ever care about what Carmen did? Nobody cared because Carmen never produced anything. Not a single painting or a poem or a piece of music, nothing. So, she stayed invisible. Grandfather Alessandro loved the lively bunch of children. He often sat watching a child playing piano or painting or doing a science experiment or mastering a double back somersault. He read their poetry and he sat and watched as they did an impossible math equation which covered an entire wall. Now this beautifully organized chaos which you only ever find in overly large families It needed a massive period of daily silence. At nine o'clock sharp, stillness began in the Lombardi household. Enough of the chaotic movement of talented children and tutors and overly involved Leonardo and his wife. At nine o'clock there rang a bell. After that, the most glorious silence settled in the ancient Rombardi villa and surrounding fields. Silence, rest, quiet. Grandfather Alessandro almost ran to the white music room at 9pm. This magnificent space, with a large ceiling dome, was 200 years old. It was built specifically for music and it was soundproof. Inside was a grand piano, one of the most expensive ones on earth. The floor tiles were white, the walls were white, and in one corner, a single Stradivarius violin stood on a small stage. There is a secret door under this violin And this leads to a large underground chamber. At this moment, only one person knows about the trapdoor in the floor. Alessandro Lombardi. Late at night, Alessandro as a child opened the door, which creaked and groaned and shook, and he climbed down the spiral staircase. At the age of 10 he stopped. The car crash ended his visits to the secret chamber under the white music room. Now late at night, after the bell rings for silence in the Lombardi household, Alessandro comes to the music room for a different reason. One entire wall of this room was made with stained glass from Venice, Here in this room, all the geniuses of the Lombardi family performed. Paintings were displayed here, and here talent came to light. It was always for a small and well-chosen audience, and they came from all over the world. They did this seldom because the Lombardis treasured their privacy. The family used this room for special occasions and for every Christmas. No child since Alessandro ever touched the keys of that piano. And the violin? Never. Nobody who could not masterfully play the violin ever, ever touched that Stradivarius. But Alessandro still did. With one hand he played the piano and the violin. After his tragic accident, his parents allowed him to do so. But in the music room, he actually sang. He also danced here. And he recited poetry in eight languages. In this white room, he became whole. He was no longer one eye, one arm Alessandro. He thrived here. He thrived as the truly gifted Lombardi, One who developed all his other talents. But still, the Lombardi who did not cut a miracle out of a piece of marble. His brain knew how to do this, but his body without that vitally important arm and I just couldn't. So on those nights, when sadness about his tragic accident came like a dark Black cloud, Alessandro sang. Oh, and could he sing? Nobody knew that he could. This was his secret. This was his invisible talent. One night, during a harsh winter storm, Alessandro felt that dark sadness cloud crawling into his soul. It was after 11. He went to the music room and he lit two massive antique oil lamps. He started a soundtrack. He heard the music grow bigger in the dome above him. And then he sang. He sang viciously from that silent storm inside of him. Alessandro Lombardi knew that he could have been a Michelangelo. He sang again and again and again and again, until peace settled in his inner being. He sang softer and gentler, almost to a whisper. And then the Stradivarius played. Alessandro did not want to look. Only one person had played like this, his grandfather. Fear gripped his heart. Was he dying? Did the ghost of his grandfather arrive to take him out of the land of the living? No. He did not believe in ghosts. So then, was he going insane? His brain was leaving? So soon? No. At 71, that was too soon. Alessandro stopped singing. The Stradivarius stopped. He sang. The violin played. He turned blinked. On the tiny stage, somebody held the violin. A child. Yes, a girl. Stunned, Alessandro did what genetically superior people do. He turned away again and he sang ever so softly. The violin played majestically. He listened. Oh joy, somebody could play. Play at that level of greatness that this instrument deserved. He stopped and he walked to the child. She lowered the violin. Her lip trembled. Her eyes widened. Alessandro loved all his grandchildren, and this child looked familiar. But to his greatest shame, he had to ask, What's your name? Carmen, she whispered eyes wide How old are you? Nine and a half Right then Alessandro saw himself in this child He knew that this little girl was capable of many a thing So he immediately asked What else can you do? And he asked this in German, not Italian. For a moment she did nothing, and then she pointed to the piano. Play with me, Alessandro said in French. I have only one hand. Would you like to play a duet? Carmen jumped up and she nodded. And then she said in French, Yes, you can pick the piece. Alessandro knew that she would play any piece his grandfather could. So he picked a bright, lively piece that a child would like. The little girl played the right-hand part. Alessandro and Carmen played their very first duet. Alessandro laughed joy. Garmin stopped. Garmin ran away. She fled and she vanished. "Too much, too soon," Alessandro realized. But the next night, he waited for her. It was very easy to know that she would return. He merely thought of a younger version of himself. So, he put an empty canvas in the room and a palette with paint. What do you paint, he said when she came. And he said this in English. She shook her head, stood, waited, and she looked up into the dome ceiling. Alessandro looked at the ceiling and he imagined fresco that he wanted to paint up there. Alessandro gently said, do you maybe want to paint an easy Monet? Carmen smiled and nodded and she partially and beautifully painted water lilies of Claude Monet. She suddenly stopped and she put the paintbrush down. Then she took out a stack of sheet music. It was filled with a little symphony for six instruments. Can I have it? Alessandro said in Spanish. No, Carmen said. Nobody is allowed to see it. Only you. And you can't tell anybody what I can do. This was the longest sentence she had ever said. Why not? Alessandra said. I'm invisible, she said, and she spoke in fluent Spanish with an accent from Barcelona. I'm invisible and I want to stay that way. Alessandro smiled and he nodded. He liked the child. And then she said, but we can play the first page. You can play the piano and I'll play. Played the violin. Alessandro rushed to the piano with pages one and two of Garmin's composition. Ready, he said in Italian. I'm ready. She then ran to the violin and carefully picked it up. Alessandro and Carmen played her little composition. At first, she stood on the stage. And then she walked towards him while she played. She walked and played until she stood right next to him. Their eyes met. Carmen's eyes sparkled. They both smiled, Alessandro's heart rushed, the beauty of that specific moment filled his entire being as singing did. On night three Alessandro said, do you dance? He said this in Russian. She nodded. Okay, tonight is a night for Russian ballet then. Karmin smiled. I have the music in my head. She said this with the confidence of a nine and a half year old. I have the music in my head. She answered him in a Russian accent from Moscow. Alessandro marvelled at her language abilities. Then Carmen danced. Oh, when she danced on the white floor with the Venetian glass glimmering in the low lamplight, you could write a majestic symphony from the movements with a gentle, playful violin, a soft, Sad cello, a running piano, and then with a rejoicing, jubilant song, the song of a human seen for the very first time. Oh, how she danced. Alessandro had never seen anything like this before. Carmen danced. Alessandro watched. On night four, Alessandro brought buttery clay. He hid this from Carmen. The child skipped into the room. What do you want me to do next? She said in Dutch. She giggled and she winked because this time she had picked the language. Alessandro laughed. Do you sing? He said in Dutch. Not tonight, she said. Alessandro picked up the clay and brought it to the child. Do you... He spoke softly in Italian. His left hand shook. Can, can, can you... Um, can you... He stammered. Garmin shook her head violently. Alessandro wanted to weep and yell and cry out. No, 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 no. No. Every other talent that this child had so important for humankind but to him only this sculpturing not you can't, no 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 no. Uh, not, 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 not not as good as you grandfather teach me I've been waiting for quite long you can, Alessandra said Carmen, I you can? Yes, she said. Yes, but you can make me better. Alessandro grabbed the child and he bitterly wept for the very first time since that car accident that took his arm and his eye. He wept for the arm that he'd been begging for 61 years to create. His invisible arm chiseled at night in the dark it itched and it craved and it screamed and it begged it begged to bring a human form a human figure a hand or a foot or a face it was 61 years of yearning and longing and knowing knowing that he Alessandro could do it he could do it in his mind but not without his arm he wept The little girl put her arms around his neck. I know what we will do, Garamine said. You'll show me. You and I will make your sculptures. We'll make them together. That night they sat on the floor of the music room facing one another. A winter storm shook the windows. Alessandro put the clay between them. Carmen took a tiny piece of the clay and she made a face profile of Alessandro. She hesitated, pulled back, froze, stopped, struggled, and finally she made only half of his face. The other half was hidden in the clay. Why didn't you finish it? he said. Uh, 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 I- I don't know you yet. Well, ask me anything, get to know me, Alessandro said. Carmen viciously shook her head. No, no, not with with words. I have to watch you to understand your face. Alessandro shook his head and he put the rest of the clay into her hands. She shook her head again. Dropped it. I can't do it. I'm not good yet. Alessandro stared at the child, this little girl, this child who danced as if the wind carried her, she who controlled the Stradivarius, she who wrote a small symphony where cellos and pianos argued She who spoke foreign languages with without missing a single verb conjugation in the correct tense. The child who fell into a piano piece of great complexity with little fingers as light as butterflies. She Carmen, she struggled with clay. Clay, as if this was heavy and difficult and complex. And the reason, him, Alessandro. She thought him, the master, and herself as the inferior underling. They sat with the clay between them for a long, long time. And then Alessandro said, You can use my invisible right hand, my child. My hand has been waiting for so long for you to come and bring it back to life. Carmen's eyes widened. Then she smiled. And then she nodded. So they made that first clay sculpture together. With three hands Alessandro guided both of Carmen's little hands with his left hand they moved slowly and then he talked soft hands right hand and thumb a bit deeper uh, to the left. left push, push, more, stop his voice and his left hand formed that missing right hand to guide Carmen. That was try number one. Night after night after night they worked to perfect this method and of course they succeeded with clay. When Carmen turned 12, Alessandra decided that she could start working with marble. Happy birthday, Carmen, Alessandro said on a 12th birthday after midnight. I want to show you something. Come, child. They walked to the tiny stage, and there Alessandro moved the violin. He walked to the stained glass window and he pressed a blue glass button. It was shaped like a butterfly. The trap door in the floor opened with a squeak and a groan and it shook. Slowly. Garmin ran to the open hall and she stared down. What's this? she said. Alessandro pressed another glass button on the window. A light went on in the secret chamber. Climb down the staircase, he said. There's a large room down there. Come with me, Garmin said. Come. No, Alessandro said and he shook his head. I haven't been down there for a very long time. Why not? How long? Since the car accident 61 years ago. They stood at the edge of the hole in the floor and they waited. I can't, Alessandra said. I can't. Pain shot into his missing arm and his invisible fingers burned. His dead eye filled with hot metal splinters. No, he said no. Garmin took his left hand. I'll help you go down again. We'll do it together. She pulled him gently. Come. Alessandro still shook his head. I'm not going if you don't come with me, Garmin said and she tilted her head. She blackmailed him. They climbed down together while Garmin softly sang to him for the first time ever. Step by step by step by step, they moved down and down and down. The secret chamber held priceless Lombardi treasures Paintings, music compositions, sculptures, handcrafted jewellery, books, translations, solved equations, stained glass. Alessandro said, The room is fireproof and climate controlled. Nobody else knows about this room. Hmm, Carmen said. Not even my father? Her words hurt alessandro no he said no he doesn't know and you carmen must one day tell the next true lombardi after you about the secret chamber you must tell but but how will i know who to tell my child you will know alessandro went to a glass display case open it and take out the marble. Carmen took a heavy piece of marble. It had been chiseled but only a little, Alessandro said. I started to work on this six months before the accident. My father told me that he kept it down here as a memory of I've never seen it again. Well, Carmen said. Now we'll finish it. And she said this firmly, what were you making? Uh, what were you making, she said again. A hand, a a hand, he said and he sobbed. They took the marble upstairs and put it onto the white floor. With a marble between them, Alessandro closed his eye and he held Carmen's right hand tightly with his left hand. And then he felt the chisel move. He felt the cold marble. And the chisel moved. Carmen never wanted to stop. She would have worked through nights, but Alessandro did not allow this. The art piece took two years to complete because Alessandro insisted that they play a little every night. She danced, he watched, he sang and she listened. He sang and she played the violin while he did. They worked on a painting together laughing about the paint on their faces. They played piano duets, and they recited poetry, which they had written in eight languages, and they always challenged one another with bigger words. Alessandro gave her impossible math equations to solve, and then he faked surprise when she did it right. He told us stories, every night, stories. Just regular stories. Stories for little girls with too much talent. They finished the artwork two years later. Carmen and Alessandro decided that they would keep this sculpture. Carmen on her own decided to list the artist as Lombardi. No first name, just Lombardi. Alessandro begged to add Carmen's name. He wanted to give the child the credit that she deserved. She bluntly refused. No, no first name and no other information. The sculpture Alessandro's hand was excruciatingly beautiful. It contained the pain of a cut-off hand that had been destined to create. It reached and it begged and it lingered in midair. Alessandro showed his son Leonardo the piece of art. I want you to plan an exhibition in the music room, he said. Leonardo came closer. His fingers touched every marble finger. One of my children did this, he said. Yes, Alessandro said. Yes. Leonardo dropped to his knees, tears in his eyes. He sobbed. I I told you, I told you, I would give you a true Lombardi father. Alessandro pulled his son up to face him. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Thank you for having nine talented children. Which one is it? Leonardo insisted. All of them, Alessandro said. You are not going to tell me? I have to know. Please. No. Why? Why? I have to know which one. I'm sorry, Alessandra said, but you will never know. The child who did this said no, and that is a final decision. Carefully chosen artists and friends from all over the world attended the gala event. Carmen did not move. Her father Leonardo walked towards the art piece and unveiled it. Ladies and gentlemen, I am presenting to you Alessandro's hand, her father said. Leonardo smiled and then he joined his wife his nine children and Alessandro on the tiny stage for a loud applause and for recognition. He was so proud. After the applause, voices from the audience, which Lombardi did it? Everybody asked. Museums, TV stations, newspapers, art dealers, the public. Who made it? I did, said Alessandro at the press conference. I did, said Leonardo. Of course it was I. I did, said children, number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You all worked together? The reporters asked. Yes, the eleven Lombardi said, Yes, we did. Yes, they simply all took the credit. As simple as that. Garmin was born invisible. And she stayed invisible. Alessandro's invisible arm came back to life and he thrived as an artist until he was 90. Garmin also thrived as an artist. It was Alessandro that insisted that she spent some time alone. So she kept on vanishing for at least six hours a day, for the rest of her life. Carmin got married and had twin daughters. The villa now housed almost 30 talented and not at all talented and extremely brilliant Lombardis. They all created under the family name, The real fortune came from the two Michelangelo's of the family, Alessandro and Carmen. A few things changed in the music room. Now, at night, every night, somebody played on that Stradivarius violin. And somebody else played on that overly and world's best piano. Nobody cared if they played well. They just played. But a few things stayed the same. This beautifully organized chaos, only ever found in overly large gifted families, needed and still needed that massive period of silence. At nine o'clock, the bell rang. The white music room was locked. Silence folded over the Lombardi Villa and its extraordinary family. some nights after eleven, Carmen and her husband came to the wardroom room and then she danced for him, she painted him. She played the violin, the piano. She recited love poems in ten languages for him and she giggled. She made a painting of each of their daughters. She sang love songs, for her deep love for him brought songs for, for him. Her husband. And some nights she simply made love to him on the white floor of the music room where she had lost her invisibility to her grandfather Alessandro. Michelangelo was born on a Monday morning. It was the year 1475. He was child number two of five children. He completed his famous sculpture of David at the age of 29. He painted the frescoes on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican in four years between the ages of 33 and 37. Michelangelo died at the age of 88. Karmin's twin daughters became child prodigies at the age of two, of course they did. Both are mathematicians, and they will radically change the world with quantum computers. Carmen did not tell them about the secret chamber. She left instructions in her will about this, a very valuable document waits for Carmen's daughters at the offices of an attorney to be opened after her death. Like Michelangelo, Carmen will live until 88. So again the question, was Carmen Lombardi ever as good as Michelangelo? Better. Much but in a very very strange way 51 years from now Carmen's daughters will go to the music room they will find the secret door under the violin it will open with a groan a creak and it will shake they will go down the staircase into the secret chamber they will find thousands and thousands thousands of art pieces all clearly signed Carmen Lombardi they will find the talent of Michelangelo Leonardo da Vinci Donatello Galileo Botticelli Vivaldi Dante Mussolini Raphael Verdi and Marco Polo in the year 2073 Carmen Lombardi will be known as the greatest artist all times. Carmen was born invisible and she will stay invisible as an artist until the day her daughters finally open the trap door in the floor.